We'll be reading verses 1 through 15 in Acts 17. And when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, Apollonia, I'm sorry, Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, and where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. And the brother immediately sent Paul, away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Therefore many of them believed, also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. But when these Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also, and stirred up the people, and then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea. But Silas and Timotheus abode there still. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a com- commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed, they departed. You may be seated. Good morning. I'm going to ask if you would to join me in a word of prayer. Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Teach us from your word and give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church here at Hope in Christ. Father, this morning we need to hear from you. Help is needed. Hearts need changing. Father, we ask that you would protect us amidst the trials that inevitably come... When a follower of Jesus walks in your steps, direct our gaze heavenward, holding on to hope in all things. Father, we acknowledge this morning that you are a great God, that you are Lord of heaven and earth. And we ask just now that you would send your word and deliver a direct hit, if you will, on our hearts this morning, that we might be more like Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, there are many of you in here who can relate to this uh, up front with the arrival of a new baby. There is a lot to be done. Amen? A lot of work needs to be done. There's the rearranging of the room 
there's painting the room. For those of you that like to know ahead of time, boy or girl, paint the color appropriately. There's taking inventory of onesies and diapers and um, wipes and outfits and bibs and strollers and high chair. And perhaps as you get closer to delivery day, there's an ultrasound that you may choose to do. Your bags get packed if you're going to the hospital. There's an inventory check on all supplies that are needed if you're going to be at home. There's a series of appointments with a doctor or a midwife. And there are some of you who just find yourself on standby, waiting to get a phone call about adopting a new baby boy or girl. There's many months of preparation. There's lots to be done. But what about a name? What about a name? Has anyone found it an easy task to land on a name that you and your spouse both agree on? A name is pretty significant. You'll use that name hundreds, thousands of times. Many of you select a name that is biblical. Some use names that are associated with family members. Others just like a particular name. You just like it. A name identifies you. It marks you. When you hear the name of an individual or you hear the name of a group of people, a definition starts to form in the mind. Let me give you a test. When I say the men of Issachar, what do you think of? Who were those men? What did they do? Anybody tell me? They understood the times. Yeah, they were marked by that. If I was to put out Pharisee, maybe what comes to mind is legalist. If I put out Paul, Perhaps you're thinking of apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, missionary, church planter. What about Judas? Traitor? Not the guy you want handling your money, your bank account? How about Achan? Probably some things come to mind there. Jezebel? What about David? A man after God's own heart. You see, when we have these names, we identify, there are definitions that usually come to mind when we think about a name of a person or a group of people. What about Berean? Something come to mind when you hear of a Berean? You might have heard the phrase, be a Berean. What's in the name? What is it to be a Berean? All right, are you ready for this? This is, this is going to be a tough one to figure out. Bereans live in Berea. But Bereans are needed in Pendleton, in Arlington, in Shirley, in Marion, in Fishers, in Noblesville, in Markleville, 
in Mount Summit area, in the Cumberland area. And I've heard tell that they're critically important to have in the state of Kentucky. It's good to have your family with us this morning. Bereans. As we seek to understand who these Bereans are from the text, I believe we'll discover some some crucial life lessons. So I'd like to give you four up front that tie in directly here to the text. The first one is simply this, and they all start with H. That might help you this morning. All right, the first one is help. Help needed. Help needed. Look at verse 10. Acts 17, verse 10. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now, the text points out that Paul and Silas needed help. Listen to this. They needed help getting to Berea, and they needed help getting out of Berea. Some of you are thinking, I don't know that I want to go to Berea if I have to have help getting there and help getting out. Verses 14 and 15 in the text for today, they make mention of the brethren or those who conducted Paul. Three of the six verses in our text today mention help needed along the way. How many of you know that you need help in this journey with the Lord? Have you been trying to run the race on your own? Do you see that the Bible connects you with other parts of the body of Christ? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 through 22 reads this way. Paul says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. And then he says, flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. Listen to how he says we're to pursue this. We pursue those things with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 speaks of the body of Christ and shows how each of the parts is designed and fitted together for a purpose. And the parts are present for the benefit of the body, not self. Ephesians chapter 4 also talks about how some were connected to each other in the body of Christ. And it speaks of the importance of operating together under our head. Who's our head? Christ. And the significance of doing your share about the work of edifying in love. Help is needed, church. You can't journey this road as a Christian flying your own airplane, charting your own course, blazing your own trail. The Lord has set up His church to be on one hand connected to Christ, while at the same time connected to the brothers and sisters who also call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. So why is it that you have such a hard time declaring that you need help? Well, I think there's three. There's more, probably. But there's three, three that I think can be brought to the table here this morning. First of all is control. You like doing things your own way. Secondly, lack of humility. Acknowledging that you need help 
is for those who are weak, some might say. The Bible says that humility is the very thing needed to open the door for God's grace in your life. More of Christ, less of me. And then there's pride. You know, you might be afraid to actually admit you're human. You need help to walk this road of faith. If Paul needed help to make it through his missionary journeys, brothers and sisters, we need help as well. I want you to watch something in the text. If you just trace the life of Paul for a moment and you go backwards to Acts chapter 9, this was an interesting study. You can chart the help needed in his life up to this point and understand that as we talk about Paul needing help and and seeing the brethren come alongside of him, we also are saying all this in light of the fact that God is protecting him all along the way. Okay, But Acts chapter 9, shortly after his conversion... You might recall that man Ananias, and Ananias and the Lord have a conversation. Ananias is wondering, Lord, do you got the right person? And we see in verses 17 through 19, Ananias goes in where Paul is. He he, he can't see. And he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we see Ananias is the help needed at this point in Paul's life. He's the one who brought the message from the Lord. He was eyewitness to Paul's eyes being opened. A few verses later in chapter 9, 23 through 25, Paul says the Jews plotted to kill him in verse 23. Their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Look at verse 25. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. We see at the end of chapter 9, verses 28, 29, and 30, he's in Jerusalem. He speaks boldly in the name of the Lord, and he disputes against the Hellenists. They attempted to kill him. Look at verse 30. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him to Tarsus. Fast forward to Acts 13. The beginning there, uh, the church in, in Antioch, and they're getting ready to send out Paul and Barnabas. In Acts 13, verse 3, it says, Then the church, having fasted and prayed, laid hands on them. They sent them away. Acts 14, verse 20. Paul has just been stoned in Lystra. Right after he gets stoned, verse 20 says, however, when the disciples gathered around him. Acts 16 in Philippi, verses 33 and 34. He's been beaten. He's been put in stocks. And the jailer now who comes before and asks what he must do to be saved. And Paul speaking to him about what he needs to do to be saved. He's spoken the word of the Lord. Verse 33 says that the jailer took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes. Immediately he and all his family were baptized. And when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. This brother now, this jailer is serving. He's coming alongside and ministering to Paul. And we see last week in Thessalonica 17 verse 6, when they did not find them, Remember that mob, those men from the marketplace. They're going to Jason's house trying to get Paul. And it says they did not find them. They dragged Jason and some brethren. Don't discount that verse. here's, Here's a man named Jason and here are some other brethren. Just the generic brethren, the brethren. They're willing to take a hit, if you will, for Paul's sake. These brethren stand in the gap for Paul. Paul is not there. All along the way, you see the brethren standing in the gap. The brethren coming alongside. The brethren offering help. 
See, Paul understood that he needed help in the journey. He, he needed and relied upon other brothers and sisters to serve with him, to fight the good fight with him, to run the race with him, to keep the faith with him all the way to the finish line. And, you know, Paul is going to receive additional help from Berea. If you fast forward, I'll give you a little sneak peek in Acts 20, verse 4. There's this man named Sopater. Sopater of Berea. And it's interesting, if you notice Paul in his journeys, he keeps adding helpers along the way. And from what we can remember back in this first missionary journey, you might recall that Paul welcomes ministry partners who desire the work of the Lord. Remember John Mark? That was one of the reasons why Paul didn't desire John Mark to go with him, because he didn't want to go to the work at that point in time. Church, are you recognizing your own need for help? And this might be the one life lesson this morning that you need to hear. Your life in Christ is meant to be lived in community with other brothers and sisters. That's the way God set it up. Don't hide. Don't sit in the bleachers. Don't run away. Stop being a stranger to the body. Being in Christ is being connected to the living God and sharing fellowship with God's people, his church. So there's help needed along the narrow road with Jesus. Let's look at life lesson number two here in the text. Hear, that's our age, hear attentively. Once Paul and Silas arrive, they make their way into the Jewish synagogue. Look at verse 11. These were more fair-minded, specifically speaking of the Jews, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Now, church, right here, this is the heart of the passage. This really is the heart of the passage in many ways. In terms of understanding what it is to be a Berean, the text really provides two verses of detail about them. You know, it reminds me in some ways of what we receive from Derby. If you flip back a page in your Bible to chapter 14, verse 20, the end of verse 20, this is right after Paul is stoned in Lystra. The disciples gathered around him, and it says, The next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. Look at 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. All we have about the ministry in Derby is that verse in 21. They preached the gospel and made many disciples. We don't have a whole lot of information. A lot of good things sound like happened, though, in Derby. We don't have a whole lot of information here in Berea, either. However, what we do have available is significant, and I believe it can help us greatly if we attend to what it says. The text says that they were more fair-minded. They were more noble-minded. They were open-minded. More so than those in Thessalonica. Why the comparative adjective pitting the Thessalonians with the Bereans? I believe these two Macedonian cities shared some things in common. But the way they received the word as a whole is different. On a comparative scale, the Bereans were opened up in the mind to hear what the scriptures had to say. They weren't smarter. They weren't born from a different cloth than those in Thessalonica. But they heard the word with open ears, 
open minds, open hearts. As a whole, the Jews in Berean, in the Berean synagogue, and the Greeks, the text says, and the women, the prominent women, and some of the prominent men, they heard the word attentively. Now, the text here qualifies the better approach from the Bereans. They were more fair-minded, more noble-minded. In what manner? In what way? The text says, in that they received the word with all readiness. Some of your translations say they received the word with great eagerness. I want you to think about this. A group of people who receive the word with all readiness. A group of people who are eager to hear this word. Can't wait to hear the word. Can't wait to open it. Hear what God has to say. This kind of readiness, church, it flows from a heart that is inclined to the things of the Lord. Beginning at the individual level, do you open this word with all readiness to hear attentively from God? Do you recognize that this word of God is God's word? If it's God's word, are you opening it to receive a word from him? Do you desire to know and hear what God has to say? How do you, at an individual level, how do you approach your time in God's Word? Is it dry? Dull? Do you find yourself wading through Leviticus and can't seem to engage in the text? Have you ever waded through those first nine chapters in 1 Chronicles and just wondered when will the genealogies end? Or maybe you've been in the book of Joshua and you get to that point in Joshua where... There's all this um, description of the, the land that is being apportioned to the 12 tribes. And it describes the borders on the east and the west and the north and the south. Or maybe you've arrived in Nehemiah and you get to chapter 3. And you see this whole big long list of names. Names of people who worked on a wall. Names people who had responsibilities at certain parts around that wall. I think the tendency is to get distracted by what we'd rather not read. But if this is God's word, our attentiveness level ought to just skyrocket. Amen? It should. Do we or do we not desire to hear from God's word? All of it. It's all his word. See, your reception to God's word in your own Bible reading, I believe it has a lot to do with what you think about God. If you have a relationship with him, this word is dear to you. If you live your days dependent upon the Lord, this word is precious. If you desire to operate from the basis of biblical truth, the word of God is a non-negotiable. Church, you're not going to find a steady diet of biblical truth on the newsstand, in a novel, in social media world. We need to be briefed each day from God's word if we're going to walk in the truth. 
What about at the corporate level? When you walk in here on a Sunday morning, you gather here with the saints. Do you receive the preached word with all readiness, with great eagerness? Are you eager this morning to hear his word? Are you listening for what the Spirit desires to teach you through his word? I realize that some of you can get distracted. We have some nursing mothers. We have some fathers who need to tend to some younger children. There's a phase of life that makes it challenging to sit attentively before the word for any length of time. The time you do have, though, I would like to encourage you to be attentive to what the Lord is saying through his word. Now, there are others of you who arrive having done zero preparation. You open the Bible because it's the thing to do when the preacher is preaching. Some of you do not have a Bible with you. That's instructive. What does it say to the Lord if you neglect to bring your sword into the assembly? Think about it for just a moment. A construction worker wears the proper attire when he goes to work. On the work site, he must, he must wear a hard hat. No hard hat, no job. You need your hard hat. If it's a drag to bring your Bible in the door, I wonder if you're ready to be a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this Bible is more than a book, church. This Bible is a sword, a much-needed sword in the spiritual battle that gets waged every day, every moment of every day. Take up the Word and tune in to what the Spirit has to teach you. Some of you here have the Word on your iPhone, on your phone. Technology allows you an opportunity to do that. That's wonderful. That's great. Hear the Word attentively, though. Don't use technology for reading the main text and then drift off into internet land because you have access. Are you accessing email? Are you texting while the message is being preached? Is there a readiness to hear the word? Some of you arrive having stayed up too late last night. Little or no thought perhaps was given to your time in the Lord's house today. And so on a regular basis, you use this time to catch up on some sleep. Some of you have been asleep before I even have a chance to stand up and start preaching. You're already asleep. For the Lord's sake, this ought not be. Dads, Moms, children, speaking to each one of you right here. Hearing this word is so important at an individual level and in a corporate setting. And I'll also add, in your household, I didn't speak to it, but Lord willing, this word is being put into play. It's central in your homes. You cannot hear attentively when you are nodding off to sleep. You have permission. It's been said before. I'll say it again. You have permission. If 
it's being, if it's hard for you to sit and you feel like you're drifting, stand up. Stand up. No problem at all with standing up. Listen, if someone next to you, it may even be a family member, if someone next to you is sleeping when the word is being proclaimed, gently extend some love. Wake them up. For the Lord's sake, God would have us be attentive, church, to his word. Well, the Bible says here in chapter 17, it says that not only did they receive this word with readiness, but it says that they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Now, this does not imply, we need to be, be clear here, it doesn't imply they met in the synagogue daily, but were encouraged and challenged and exhorted in the scriptures daily. How did that happen? I believe it happened as Paul and Silas and Timothy spent time with those brothers and sisters in Berea. The short time the missionaries had in Berea, they realized something about these people. The word matters to them. They care about it. They're asking questions. They're checking it out. Daily they were hearing the word preached. Daily they were hearing the word taught. Daily they were checking it out. They were attentive to hear and they were diligent to search it out, to investigate it. That's the idea behind the word. They searched the scriptures. It's, it's the word that's used in a judicial courtroom. They were checking it out, finding evidence to see if what this says is really true. Can you imagine such a community of believers? A group of people who humbly cry, help needed here. Help needed. And a group hungry to hear God's word, to receive it with all readiness. A group of spiritual sponges eager to just soak up the truth of God's word. These are my favorite folks to be around. Might be your favorite folks to be around too. These are people you love to be around. You just love to spend your days with these people. They ooze Jesus. I want you to, to know something. The, the kind of fellowship that's described here in Berea is not intended to be unique to Berea. I believe one of the life lessons here for the church is to wake up out of her slumber. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed, Paul writes in Romans 13. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. You see, the benefits and blessings of receiving God's word are great. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ here this morning, your heart is intended to gravitate toward what God says. Is your heart inclined to this word? And if not, why? Where's your heart being pulled? Perhaps this morning an action step would be to evaluate your treasure. Take it to the Lord. What is this treasure? Repent if needed. Turn to God. Turn to his word. Live a life that reflects a repentant heart. And let's start walking Berean style. So there's help needed. And we need to find out that we need to hear attentively to this word. What else does the text say? I believe the third is heart, heart, 
heart changed. Look at verse 12. Therefore, many of them believed. And also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women, as well as men. Now, if you take that verse and you immediately go back up to verse 4, when he's in Thessalonica, here are the results of preaching the word in Thessalonica. It says, some of them were persuaded. When the word was preached in Thessalonica, some of them were persuaded. Here in Berea, many of them believed. The Jewish contingent in the Berean synagogue were convinced that this word was true. The good majority of them were convinced this word was true. Not a few of the Greeks believed. That means a good number of the Greeks believed. The prominent women as well as the men. In Thessalonica, we just hear about the women, the prominent women. But here in Berea, it's the prominent women and the prominent men of the city. They believed. In Berea, church, there is a harvest of righteousness. Harvest of righteousness. Heart change is going on. As the word of God is preached and taught, heart change happens as one hears attentively. Heart change involves living as a new creation now. Okay? 2 Corinthians 5.17. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Galatians 6.15 speaking to a group of people who were stuck on one needing to be circumcised for their salvation. Paul says, for in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. What matters? A new creation. That's what matters. A new creation walks in newness of life. That's Romans 6 verse 4. The newness of life is rooted in your union with Christ having died, having been buried, having been raised with Christ, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Romans 7 verse 6 says that a new creation serves now in the newness of the Spirit. He's walked long enough in the flesh. He's been able to see the low-level living that comes with walking in the flesh. The Bible says that you cannot please God walking this way. Romans 8, 8. Behold, look, a new creation. Church, is is it a surprise when you read the text in Acts 17? Is it a surprise based upon 17 verse 11 that many believed in Christ and started living as new creations? New creations are not accidents. New creations don't just all of a sudden pop up on the scene. A new creation is deemed new, having been transformed by this word of God, having been convicted by the Holy Spirit, having been drawn by God the Father himself. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit abides in you forever. It is the Spirit in you who makes you alive to God. Heart change. Do you get a picture of the heart change in Berea once the word of God was brought to bear? Heart change occurred. Saving faith comes on the scene as a result of attentive hearing to the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by this word. The Bereans are known for their changed hearts. Is it possible for hope in Christ to be known in this manner? Yes! I'll answer it. Yes. I believe another life lesson here in the text. 
A heart change is possible. Listen to this. A heart change is possible for all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. John 14, 23, Jesus is speaking. And he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. I just, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. He's going to hold on to my word. But he goes on and says, and my father will love him. And we will come to him. This is good. Jesus says, we will come to him and make our home with him. Question. Do you desire for God's presence to come and take up permanent residence in you? A heart change affects the way you live your days, church. Acts 1.8, we, we hopefully by now know Acts 1.8. We bring it up almost every week because it's the outline of where we're going. It's the outline of this book. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You see, with this power of the Holy Spirit, you have been given all you need to accomplish the mission. With the Spirit, you shall be witnesses to Jesus. A heart change, a new creation in Christ leads to being a witness to Jesus. Now we need to understand something. Your witness to Jesus begins in the home. It begins in the home. Your witness to Jesus carries over here in the assembly. Your witness to Jesus extends to those you work with. Your witness to Jesus may take you out of this country. Your witness to Jesus may take you out of this world. You might just very well lose your life. Fear not. You are a treasured child of God, marked with the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. You are His now. Nothing, according to Romans chapter 8, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. The text is pointing out that there's help needed. The text is pointing to have us hear attentively. The text has brought forth this heart change in Berea. There's one more that I'd like to add. And the H is harm. Harm approaching. If we read the last three verses, 13, 14, and 15, when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren, notice the role of the brethren brethren here again. The brethren, what are they doing? Sent Paul away to go to the sea. But both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul, those who escorted him, brought him to Athens. And receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, or as soon as possible, they departed. Now the book of Acts has shown us a pattern. Here's the pattern. Where the word of God is preached, and where hearts are changed for the Lord, harm is approaching. It's in the neighborhood. The folks from Thessalonica catch word that Paul, the guy that they tried to get, remember? In Thessalonica, they tried to get him, tried to drag him out of Jason's house, but found out he wasn't there. He's at it again in Berea. And so they saw it as a chance to get their hands on him, or at minimum, to stir up trouble and just to drive him out of Macedonia. 
You know, in, in the scripture, in, in the book of Acts, we've seen harm come to Peter. We saw harm done to James. Herod killed him with the sword. Stephen's harm came in the form of martyrdom. The apostles as a whole saw a fair share of harm as they went about teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus. And as Paul has traveled on his journeys, harm has been done. Souls have been saved, but harm has quickly followed. Not long ago, you recall in Philippi, Paul and Silas were beaten with rods and put in maximum security. But no amount of harm stops the gospel truth from advancing. In fact, the greater the harm, oftentimes the greater the harvest. Great harm must be placed in its rightful context. The Bible says, both in John and in Luke, a servant is not greater than his master. A servant is not greater than his master. Can I remind you once again this morning about the one you proclaim allegiance to? Can can I just point you up the hill of Calvary? If we just would push rewind and, and follow him up the hill, what do you see? You might see, I, I, I see a cross. Yes, you see a cross. But more than that, you see your master, you see your Lord being nailed to it. Where do you go from here? Do you walk away at this point? How are you going to follow him now that he's dead? A servant is not greater than his master. You see, walking up the hill of Calvary ought to be a daily exercise for us. His death brought you life, but his death serves as an example of the harm that very well may come when you follow in his steps. It may not be the same form of harm, but harm is approaching if you persist in following Jesus. Expect it. Live in light of it. Rejoice in it. Knowing that you have the privilege of being counted worthy to suffer for his name. Author Raymond Harris closes his book with some gripping insights for the follower of Jesus. He writes these words. He says, in the future, we may have the privilege of standing up publicly for our faith in a way that risks our earthly life. Religious freedoms in the world will erode. And here, listen to this. Being a faithful follower of Jesus Christ may have a cost beyond anything we've ever experienced. Here's a life lesson to grapple with. Are you willing to follow Jesus even at the expense of your own life? The follower of Jesus arms himself with the same mind of his Lord. 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he should no longer live the rest of his life for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Harm is approaching. Berea was a wonderful place in light of the harvest that God brought about, but Berea quickly became a hotbed for harm. Outsiders to the city arrived and began stirring up trouble, stirring confusion. But God still reigns, amen? He still reigns. 
He's still on the throne. And, you know, I was looking at this book of Lamentations this week, and I was, I was drawn to this. In the book of Lamentations, it's set in the context of a destruction. Some awful things that happened. The destruction of Jerusalem. At the end of Lamentations, chapter 5, verse 19, we read these words. He says, You, O Lord, remain forever. Your throne from generation to generation. I'd like to leave you with just one more H to consider. I believe it's a large part of the makeup of those called Bereans. And the fifth one is hope. Hope. I know I said four. We're going to add one. This is a bonus one. Hope. Hope prevailing. Hope prevailing. Friends, if you do not know this Jesus I speak of from the Bible, I urge you to take action this morning in light of the text. There is only one who serves as an anchor to your soul when harm comes. Only one who extends hope of eternal life. If you're here today and you are clinging to this life only, if in this life only you have hope in Christ, you are of all men the most pitiable. Those aren't my words. That's the Apostle Paul in Corinthians chapter 15 verse 19. It's because he lives that you can face each tomorrow. It's because he lives, all fear is gone. Death has no sting now because of Christ, because he now lives. He conquered the grave. Because he lives, there's hope beyond the grave. If you would, and you have your Bibles, turn with me for just a moment to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. As you're you're turning to 1 Thessalonians, it's important to understand... If you know your Bible and you know Thessalonians 1 and you know Second Thessalonians, you'll recall there's a common theme in those letters. One of the things Paul talks a lot about in those two letters is the return, the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why would he spend so much time talking to this group in Thessalonica about the Lord's return? Here's why. They were going through, much like Paul and his companions were going through, affliction, trouble, persecution and he's reminding them and he just keeps pumping fanning the flame of hey hold on in hope because there's gonna come a day there's gonna come a day Jesus is coming back and he keeps pointing them back listen to these words in chapter 4 starting in verse 13 he says I do not want you to be ignorant brethren concerning those who have fallen asleep those who have died lest you sorrow as others who have no hope for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself, listen to this, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Ah, church, that's good news. That is good news. Jesus died on a cross, and he was buried in a borrowed tomb. But according to the scriptures, Jesus was raised from the dead, Three days later, the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. He ascended back to be with the Father at his right hand. And the testimony of the scriptures is that he is coming back. I want you to know something this morning, that hope prevails. Hope triumphs over any harm that might come your way. 
Hope is that precious gift that only God gives through his son. It's a gift the world cannot give, much like peace. It's a gift only he can give, truly. Church Acts 17, 10 through 15, provides a glimpse of who these Bereans are. Churches have been labeled Berean. You probably heard of Berean Bible churches. Followers of Jesus have been exhorted over time to be a Berean. Check it out. Here's what I find interesting in the text. For as often and as well known as it is when we throw out that word Berean, you can immediately identify with that word. There's very little said in the text about this church at Berea. In terms of space in the scripture. Just a couple of verses define the Berean church. That's it. A couple of verses. How is it that such a name spreads when so little is said about it? Here's the final life lesson I believe will help us. The Bereans saw themselves first as followers of Jesus. In the world we live in, a group that lives distinctively Christian life. A distinctive Christian life. When we live that way, it's going to make an impact. And I believe that if you were to interview one of those Bereans whose heart was changed through the preached word, asking him to define and identify himself, I believe you'd hear something like this. Much like what we talked about this morning. A Berean realizes help is needed. Because you see, not only did Paul and company need help getting into Berea, but the Bereans were also helpful in getting him out. The Bereans realize help is needed. A Berean hears attentively with all readiness when the word is opened. A Berean is one whose heart has been changed. A change which drastically alters the course of his life. Walking now intentionally after his new master, Jesus. A Berean understands that harm is approaching, that his life is literally on the line, but a Berean also understands that God reigns and that hope prevails. And he lives each day looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of his great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you see that help is needed in your life, church? Humility is the entry point. Humility opens the ears to hear attentively, to want to know what God has to say. Humility leads to heart change and sets you free to follow Jesus anywhere he might lead you, even if it means up a hill. So when harm comes, it doesn't destroy you. No, in fact, what it does is it strengthens you. And it strengthens others around you. When Paul is in prison in Philippians chapter 1, he's in chains and he's writing and he's saying, hey, I'm here in prison, but... The word of God keeps on advancing even while I'm in chains. And other brothers are encouraged because of these chains for Christ. Are you defined by Christ, the hope of glory? What is it that defines the Berean? What's in the name? Here it is, Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. Is your life defined by this Jesus of the scriptures. Friends, you have one life to live. One. Make it count for Jesus. Be known for Jesus. See to it that your name is synonymous with Jesus. 
See, God made you in his image and he's working in you to conform you daily into the image of his son, Jesus. God has always given you his very best. He has never given you anything less than his best. Is his best enough for you? Will your name be enjoined to the name of Jesus when it's time to leave this earth? Will others be able to tell that you've spent your life in the company of Jesus? On that note, I leave you with a scripture from the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 13. In the midst of the Sanhedrin, Peter and John, listen to this. When the Sanhedrin saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, they were astonished. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. They identified Paul, Peter, and John as having been with Jesus. That's my prayer for all of us, is that others would also be able to recognize and see and identify Not necessarily that we are like a Berean, but that we are becoming more like Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, it is good to have your word open. It's good to hear from you in your word. Oh, Lord, I thank you for this text that speaks of Paul and his ministry in Berea. I thank you for this group of Bereans that set a wonderful example for us. Even some 2,000 years removed, Lord, they, their name keeps going. Their name is still rich with meaning. Oh, Father, I pray that as individuals, as a collective body, that when our time is come to leave this earth. That it would be said of us that we lived a lot like Jesus. That people would be reminded of Jesus. Move in us, Lord. Continue to mold us and shape us. As you are about your good work in us, may we also be working out our salvation We thank you, Father, for brothers and sisters who provide help. And I pray we would be one who looks for ways to offer help in the body. I thank you, Father, that you've given to us ears to hear your word. May we use them and steward these ears, our hearts, our minds, to hear your word, to soak it in. And then be obedient to that. I thank you, Father, that you are the one who orchestrates heart change. You are the one who brings it about. You are the one who initiates it. From beginning to end, you are involved in that, Lord. And we thank you for that heart change that you've made possible through your son, Jesus. And the ongoing heart change that's possible through the ministry of your Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you, even in the midst of harm that's approaching. Father, there is nothing that can be done to take away our relationship with Jesus Christ, 
No harm can be a roadblock or an obstacle to the faith that you've entrusted to us. Father, help us to realize that even in the midst of that harm, there's great hope. Hope prevails. Father, you are a God of hope. May we hold on in hope, even in those difficult times in our lives, trusting your word, trusting that what you have said, trusting that what you have promised, you will make good on your word. Father, I pray for each one here that our hope would be in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray this in his name. Amen.